Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. One day a woman went with, uh, that went to his church asked him to visit her husband. Uh, he, he was an agnostic Vietnam vet that was dying of cancer. And when Joel walked into the hospital room, the guy made it clear that he did not want any visitors. But Joel sat down anyway. If you know Joel, you know that wouldn't bother him one bit. He asked, him, he asked the man if he was ready to die, if he could offer up any prayers for him, if there was anything that he could do for his wife or his children. And there the man was. He laid in that bed and he was hostile. He was angry and he was in pain and finally said, Pastor, I hate my life. I've done things that you can't even dream of. Yes, I'm ready to die because the world would be better if I wasn't here. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible father. You need to know that in my time in Vietnam, I killed 219 people, and I can remember each one. And then the man started in flippantly and defiantly, and he began to tell Joel about each person that he killed, starting with the first one, a 14-year-old boy that he snuck up on. And Joel said he described it in horrific detail. And by the time he got to the fifth or the sixth person, Joel said he couldn't stand anymore. He thought the guy was going to tell him about all 219 people that he killed in detail. So he stopped the man. He said, wait a second. I have a question. And the man said, what? Joel said, how did you know that he was 14? And the man said, what do you mean? He said, well, you've told me all of the details of all of the people for the first, the first five or six people that you've killed. You've, you've told me all the details. But what I can't figure out is, how did you know that first kid was 14? How did you know his age? And before Joel knew it, that room became a confession booth. He said the man looked at him and his eyes widened and fear gripped him. And for a moment, he sat there and stared at him with a cold stare. And then honesty came out of him for the first time ever. And he shrieked something that only he knew for years. Because he looked like my brother. And this was the very first time that this man admitted He killed his brother. He had told the story of these killings in the past because of his own self-loathing, but this was the first time he confessed. And Joel in that room did what the Levitical priests are able to do and what I have been gifted to do from time to time again, where I found myself from time to time again. He got to be a mediator between God and God's Son, And he said to him, I cannot imagine the kind of pressure you must have been under. Your country's leaders forced you to make decisions that you were incapable of making. You were so young. 
You had no good options. Their sins forced you into a terrible place. But I want you to know that your God loves you. And through the ministry of his son, by the power of his spirit, your God has forgiven you. And he said these words, as an ordained elder in the church of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I absolve you of your sins. And he said it was like the oppressive air of the room was sucked out and freedom filled it. And the man sat there for the first time. This time, his cries were not cries of horror, but they were quiet sobs that one experiences when he's experienced forgiveness. And God. This is the incredible thing about God. This is what God wants to do for us. This is why we practice confession. God does not hold on to some grudge like I do. Instead, something remarkable happens. For God, confession leads to redemption. I think this is what the gospel writer John meant when he said the truth will set you free. There's no hiding when we confess. In fact, it's an open door to forgiveness. It's the way by which God makes things right. Confession in God's kingdom doesn't come with a slap or a punishment. It's actually beautiful. It assumes brokenness. It assumes longing. It it assumes that we'll be fumbling around. And then we'll participate in healing. As the writer Don Everett says, most folks think confession is about sitting remorsefully in a corner, but it turns out it's impossible to confess while sitting down. Because confession is walking straight into the outrageous kingdom of God, and in the middle of that there is this Father. And sometimes, you just need a priest to tell you that. When tragedy strikes, my friend Mark Holcomb says, I wonder what creative thing God is going to do to redeem this. God's redeeming work is love in the right direction. And in Nehemiah's case, God doesn't just forget his, he doesn't forget his covenant with his people, but time and time and time again, God goes about the restoration of his people. Even this story is about God's restoration and God's reordering and God's remaking. And here he does it again. He begins the work of rebuilding the wall through Nehemiah's leadership and his tenacity and his persuasion and his strategic mind. But if you read it closely, you'll see that it's more than a wall that's being rebuilt. God is restoring his covenant community. Sure, the wall is built, but the people are protected. And the law is being established. And, and there's, now, there's now security and a future and a hope. The impossible is being done. The systemic evil of nature is being destroyed. And as God's love is being pointed in the right direction, the world is able to see once again that Nehemiah's God can save and is no longer to be mocked. So do you know what the people do? They get together And they get honest. And they adopt a practice of confession because they long for healing. And as a result, the glory of God is on display. Not wrath laid out for us, but love demonstrated to us. Confession is a practice 
that in its earliest days, the church encouraged, but like other practices, the practice had a tendency to go off course. And confession became something that we didn't need to do because maybe we did it already or we did it once. But we would always point to the other who needed to confess. He or she needed to confess because we thought that if I confessed my sin or my brokenness or we confessed our sin or our brokenness or our need, then everyone would see us as weak. Maybe the consequences could be more than we could bear. But instead, we get to move into the arms of our loving Father who restores us. When we started this church, we wanted to create an environment where people practiced confession, where it was safe to confess. And this is why we say that we are poor and we are broken, and we are hungry, and we are thirsty for what we cannot provide ourselves. We need God's grace, and we need one another. Would you listen to this prayer? I invite you, if you want to, to close your eyes. It is a prayer that the church has prayed. I invite you to pray it. And as I pray it, I would invite you with your inspired imagination to follow the leading of God's Spirit. Perhaps you need to talk to a priest. You're more than welcome at any point during any time of the week, multiple times over and over and over, to talk to me or Pastor Mikhail, Pastor Doug, Pastor Banning, Andrea, Pastor Andrea. We will hear your confessions and we will remind you who you are and we would be glad to say on behalf of our God, you are forgiven and absolved of your sins. So let us pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we confess that we have sinned against you and thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And for that, we are truly sorry and we repent. We walk straight into the kingdom of God where we find you, our forgiving, healing, loving Father, Would you reorder and remake our lives and the work that we do together? This is what Nehemiah and the Levitical priests and the people of God throughout the ages pray. And this is what we pray tonight. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. You know, Nehemiah was not the only person who was wrecked over the condition of his city or his people. The gospel writers tell us that as Jesus made way into the city, he actually stops before entering Jerusalem and he looks over it and he begins to cry. He begins to sob, weep, Jerusalem, the the glorious city of God, no longer reflecting God's glory. They are now people who are causing pain, but they forget to confess their sin and the surrounding region mocks their God. 
And Jesus was wrecked by this. So he decides to do something about it, and he gives up his life for it. And all four gospel writers tell us that it was in Jerusalem where Jesus would give his life away and give his life away on a cross. A symbol of Jesus' wrecked nature and his willingness to do something about it can be seen here at this table in wine and in bread. And Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then soon after dinner, in the same way, he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. At our church, we confess our sins and we meet this God at this table. We come down this aisle with our hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here, we receive it because it is a gift. And no longer, when we come to this table, will God be mocked because Jesus is doing something about it. He is ushering forgiveness into our lives. He is remaking and reordering the world. So I invite you to come down this aisle. I allow you to listen to what these have to say to you. Pretend that they're a Levitical priest. Know that at this table you're forgiven. As you hold the bread in your hand, I invite you to dip it into the cup. Listen to what they have to say. Eat it and remember that Jesus has gone to do something about the sin that is in the world. Anyone who is open to this gift is invited to this table. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that they're involved. They're invited so uh, our bread is gluten-free. There are no barriers and our wine is non-alcoholic. And when you are ready, I want you to come.